You're listening to the Soul Coach Podcast. Our soul is the body and spirit together. And sometimes to get these two aligned, you need a little coaching. I am McKay Tautu, your soul coach. If you are ready to partner with God to end and clear generational junk so you can be the mom you want to be, rock your business, and love your today, you're in the right place. Now, let's ignite that beautiful soul of yours. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This is McKay, your soul coach, and I am sitting here with a new friend that I have that will be a lifelong friend. I know I say that every time, you guys, but it's because it's true. (laughs) God puts people in my life that are so needed. I almost feel like we planned it. At this point in my life, you're going to drop in because what you have is so rich. I am sitting here with Kateri Reyes, and she is a holistic health coach, health and transformation coach, right? Holistic health and transformation coach. And she helps people realize that your physical pain is always tied to emotional pains from the past. And she helps people reach in and heal from those by bringing everything to the surface, really, right? Yes. And I think we did plan it. <laughs> we did plan a drop into our lives we right did. here. So I'm glad that God's on that plan with us because it's is great time. timing. <laughs> We met on a trip that we were on, mm-hmm. and her story, first of all, I just loved her energy, and she she had this light in her eyes that was very rich and very deep. I could tell she'd been through a lot, and that she had come out on the other side, but... Uh, she was still she was still transforming when I met you. And then I saw her again and she was on the other side. <laughs> she was on the other side. But that's when I learned her story and oh my goodness, the things this woman has been through and her ability to end generational um, cycles and recognize what is hers and see things coming into her life that she does not want her kids to repeat and ending that. It is such a testament to what is possible for you in your life and for overcoming generational curses, generational traumas, even things that have come in your personal traumas. So Kateri, my dear, mm-hmm. can we start out with a little bit wherever you're comfortable with your story? Yeah, I can give the really, really short version. Um, I married very young at age 20 into a, a different culture, right? And found myself kind of swept off my feet early on in my relationship. and In a good way or a bad way? In the wrong way. Swept off to where I was beginning to realize our relationship was in danger and putting me in danger. Mm. And it actually took a friend of mine on the outside to call me out and say, you are being abused. And I argued with her at first. I said, that's not, abuse only gets you hospitalized. Mm. Anything beyond that, it's not abuse. And then I heard that come out of my mouth and I was like, that does not feel right. And so were you experiencing physical and verbal? I was feeling, experiencing physical and verbal. And I will admit- But if you weren't in the hospital- I was in the hospital. It wasn't physical abuse. It can't be that bad. It can't be beyond saving. And I wasn't interested in ending my marriage. I was interested in stopping the cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's where I wanted to live. And obviously that's a track that if you're going to grow beyond that, both couples, both halves of that relationship have to be willing to hold that space. And- 
I began to challenge it and began to push us to grow and and demand my worth, right? I don't need to hustle for it, but I can live in it in my marriage and I can live in that. And my partner wasn't willing or capable. I don't think he had really the life skills to be able to pull himself to where he needed to lead our relationship. And so how long had you been married at that time? At that time, it was three years that we had when I faced the music and realized that this is and actually it actually we had a brief period of hope. And when you're in that struggle, you cling to hope so hard, Mm -hmm. right? You just focus on the hope and the potential. And so I was willing to do all I could to foster that potential but I had a lot of undermining factors. And one of the biggest undermining factors, sadly, was my own family belief system that I realized when I went to my family for physical protection and to admit to them what I was dealing with. And the, there's so much shame that comes with it. It's mm-hmm. amazing how on the outside looking in, you just like, you see that woman's worth and you're like, you don't deserve this, right? But on the inside looking out, you feel like you are the, the reason that you're experiencing this mm. and it, and you feel like that because you're told, right? Yeah. You're, you're programmed by your abuser to f- expect this treatment because that's all you're worth to him. And so when I went seeking safety, it was really, re- I, it shocked me because I heard my own words repeated back to me. Of, it's not abuse if you're not in the hospital. So that was and it being hit told me. by your family. It hit me. I was like, somewhere in my lifetime, my childhood, I have encountered that statement and embodied that as a belief. Right. I think of all of the triggers that that sent, and it was betrayal. Mm-hmm. It was belittling. Mm-hmm. It was that you they didn't trust you that it was bad enough. Yeah. It's, it's invalidating your experience and your own self-knowledge, right? And that is a very dangerous place to be. When, you, when someone feels their, what they know to be true at the core of their being is invalidated, it makes you stop and question everything. Am mm. I the crazy one? Am I the bad one? And they gave me some technically correct information, which in a healthy marriage, in a marriage that had, you know, I would say normal level issues, is true in the sense that the only person you can change is yourself, right? At the end of the day, that you can truly change. You've got to dig in and find out where to grow and, and how to become the partner that can elicit the best behavior. But they, they flipped it into a, you're, you're probably causing this, right? And it's, mm. it's your behavior that's leading to this uh, type of punishment. And so you've got to fix that. So in essence, they're telling you they don't believe you. So where did you turn? What came next? I did what has now become a pattern for resetting myself. Um, I shifted. I took part of their advice seriously and recognized that I have to build within a strength of who I am because if I get solid as a person, then I have a stronger impact on changing the world around me in general. So how do you do that? Because your husband is abusing you. Mm-hmm. You have, how many children did you have? At right. that point I had two and a half. Two and a half kids. You're pregnant. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you had good friends. I did. And there's a part of, um, I call it kind of breadcrumbs in your life, that if you stop and enter a zone of 
we, we all tend to get stuck in a focusing on the negatives, right? And, and the bad things that are happening and swirling around us and kind of flooding us. Stopping to look at the breadcrumbs. Like, who is out there for me that's a trail to the way back? I love that. And so following those breadcrumbs and um, beginning to intentionally lay more for myself. It's like something I developed in myself to consciously set breadcrumbs. And that's, it really is basically a conduit of gratitude and looking for the beacons of light, the people who motivate me to grow and challenge me to change, the people who are ahead of me in life, who have, at that point, I went to the people who had stronger marriages than I had and um, people that I knew I could trust in my truth. And I kept a very tiny circle of people that I could be ultimately raw and honest with because there's a level of accountability that I needed because what I was recognizing in myself was I was brilliant at masquerading to protect my marriage, pretend like it was all okay, right? Mm-hmm. And to keep him safe in that abuse. That way it wouldn't bring shame to us both. And it's a very dangerous place to live because it left me obviously very vulnerable. And so I needed to go to people who wouldn't let me stay there mm-hmm. and who would check on me and who would also keep me in some challenge and not just pat me on the back. I don't want people to pat me on the back and tell me that I deserve better because I don't really get anything out of that. I wanted people <laughs> who were like, here's how you can take action to get yourself strong enough. And one of the things that I did get myself stronger was step out of my victimology and into a creative self. And this is one of the things that I advise people on any kind of struggle because this is where we can tend to own our struggle as a part of our identity. We adopt this victimology of identifying ourselves as this weakness in our lives. When you shift into something from yourself that gives a, puts you in output mode and creative self and pouring yourself out, you leave the selfishness of your victimology and move into being a creative force. It's always looking and seeking higher and more. And ultimately, that became one of the most protective things I could do for myself because as I sought that... I did get stronger. All of these opportunities began to come to me. I developed a business that became a six-figure business, right? Like while living in an abusive marriage, I was able to build this entire network for myself to have an anchor point. My biggest breadcrumb was normal life outside of my home. Okay. So when you say you got yourself into your creative self, Mm -hmm. you bypassed the reality of what was happening in your life. And it sounds like you tapped into your soul of like, okay, if this wasn't happening in my life, who am I then? Yes. And you had a support system around, even though it was small, it was solid. And those people knew your soul. Mm -hmm. They know who Kateri is like, and so then you started doing things to become her. So you started your own business. Mm -hmm. Well, time is passing by Mm -hmm. because the first time that you actually reached out for help was three years into your marriage Mm -hmm. where you had two little kids, right? Yeah. Two that Mm -hmm. fast. (laughs) And then the next time um, you're like, okay, we're spiraling. Mm -hmm. How many kids do you have? At that point, I had three kids. Um, and, and you were building a business, building a business that was very successful. And I was in that zone where I began, it's one of those things that, as you mentioned, the friends is the anchor point. 
those friends and that community, anytime when I would begin to lose myself, they would stop and remind me of who I am. I love that. Right? And, and sometimes we associate, we give our family too much credit of that's who should remind you of who you are. But because of generational patterns and the fact that they might be tied to some of the reasons, some of the your own attachment styles that keep you living and kind of the, the false stories you set for yourself, you do need to broaden your core to seek a community that really fulfills who you're trying to become. Okay, so this path I see you taking is you look you look inside and you ask to see your soul. Mm-hmm. And how you see that, you guys, is you know when your life is not going the way you want it, but you know the way you wish it was going, mm-hmm. that's your soul. Yeah. So go into how you wish and then find anchor points that you need for survival that are healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for Kateri, it was friendships. Mm-hmm. She had quality friendships that wouldn't just say, you know, you don't deserve that. I'm so sorry. They'd be like, all right, let's get you to where you need to be. What do you mm-hmm. want to start? Let's, let's do a business. We'll be your cheerleaders. So they were, they were actively involved in taking you out yeah. of emotionally this where you were trapped. Yes. It was definitely... I mean, I think the cheap way to say it is fake it till you make it. As far as assigning your future to yourself. Like, I don't have to stay here as someone who's getting beaten down by the waves, right? I can learn to swim yeah. and become an expert swimmer and choose where I'm going to go. And I used to, there would be seasons where we would cycle through really hard seasons of abuse where it would escalate to exhausting places. And the physical abuse in a way was a gift to be honest, because bruises and marks are reminders to me of how wrong this is. Mm. And it actually would, it would build my strength of like, I cannot allow this. I have to find a way to have the strength in me to break free. And I knew concretely, if I was ever going to break free again, I had to be so solid in my self-knowledge that this was the right thing to do, that my family, anybody of importance in my life, if they were to invalidate me, I would not fail. I would not falter. Mm. And so I knew there was, this, there was this part of me that I was never on a mission to end my marriage. I was on a mission to heal my marriage. But as it became more and more clear that I am growing at a pace that um, my marriage is not able to meet me at. And I began to realize I'm far more attracted to marriage as protecting the the idea of marriage and the sanctity of marriage itself. But my partner is not who... I can be in that with like there's still power in marriage to me but my the person I had chosen is not willing to grow with me and start to see who I am and I think a lot of times in marriage we people will get to a place where like you change and I'm like that's the point I was gonna ask you he (laughs) did he see these changes in you he did see these changes in me and he saw my power growing and it actually was one of the signs to me that I'm so unequally yoked because to him, it just challenged his ego to see me succeed. And he didn't see love me grow. to see you succeed. No, and in fact, he would go out of his way to undermine and and reduce me publicly, even to try to mitigate my growth. And all I did was grow more. Like it just, I just became so attached to pursuing my future self and knowing that I have to be so rock solid. And in the process, also recognizing I have these children mm-hmm. to carry through this. And I feel I'm. 
I feel like I have to apologize in asking this, but I feel really strongly about asking. Yes. So were you having to hide the physical abuse from your kids or did they see the physical yes. abuse? And that's something that, that is a, that was me participating in my own abuse, right? Like, and not that children should be dragged into it no matter what, but I definitely was when I was, there's something in my, my mind that was planted when I was a little tiny kid. There's these, we used to have a pond in our property and these killdeer, these little birds that live on beaches and they had they would lay their eggs in the sand, which left them very vulnerable. And when you would approach the pond and you get near a near a nest of eggs, the mom would run away and act like she was wounded as a distraction to like call you to her mm-hmm. and protect her nest. And that left this huge mark on me. Like I want to be that mom that will like protect at all costs, even if it puts me in danger. Right. So I'm carrying this story in my head that I'm protecting my children and that's how I'm living. And I'm feeling like one of the reasons, one of the ways I was protecting my children was staying married because if you end your marriage, certainly you're thrusting your kids into a world of pain. Mm. How dare I do that until it came to a breaking point where I began to see the older they got, the less I could hide. And the more my abuser wanted to use them as the jury. Mm. And that's a narrative, like, I just began to realize... That is interesting. I'm raising future abusers here. And that... Okay, so how... What stage of your life were you in when you experienced the biggest tragedy of your life? It was right in the middle of all this. It It was right when... It actually was, at a, I guess I should say it was the middle. I, we were in a season where we had done the roller coaster. We were about four years after the hardest season and I was in a window of hope and in fact like to my best friend we were talking about how good the year had been so far and how Mm -hmm. my relationship was in a precariously stable place and we were both kind of like is the shoe gonna drop like this actually feels good I feel like there's progress here My, my business is going well my marriage I feel like we're dating again and we're connecting again and there's hope for me here and so it just was this positive place and then tragedy stuck at the deepest levels with the sudden death of our six-year-old will you tell that story i can i can tell the really short version of it okay the really short version (laughs) um simply it was like it was like the start of I had just had so much energy of like this is the start of a really beautiful season and I was carrying this awareness of how God was working in our life and our family well you're even remodeling your house remodeling my house I had a baby on the way our first daughter after having all these boys having our first daughter did you have three three boys at the time and the boys were so invested in having a little sister and they were just like little like they were just so excited to welcome this princess into their lives Mm -hmm. and so we were just we all had this newness. Like babies do rock you and change you, and they also force you to grow up a little bit. And so our marriage was like, we're bringing a daughter into the world, and mm. it changed my energy. It changed my feminine flow, and I was living a little bit differently. And we were in this great place, and then out of nowhere, my son has taken from me in my arms in our living room because we had been remodeling and rearranging furniture, and we had bought new couches. And in the process of having to have the room empty for the new couches to be delivered this giant mantle that was supposed to be, you know, we, we were going to build it into our dream house. This marble mantle that was normally behind a couch and safe um, was exposed just for a few hours over waiting. And my kids were all on like folding chairs in the living room watching a movie. And um, 
my son Avery loved Legos and his big brother had built a really cool little Lego creation Mm. and had set it on top of the mantle. And when I left the room for a second to get the kids a snack, I heard this horrific crash. And as a mom with boys, (laughs) horrific crashes are not (laughs) abnormal. (laughs) (laughs) But they're never good. So I like braced myself and I read the sounds afterwards. I waited for like the scream or the cry or the call to me that it was more than just things that had fallen apart. And And we all know that pause as a mom where you're just like... (laughs) Assessing. What am I running into? Yes, preparing yourself. And something was different in this. And there wasn't. There was like a shock in the air. And there was nothing. And I ran down there. And at first, like you do a head count. And I only could count two kids. And I just, I I couldn't even, like my, my brain, this is where my brain was slow. It couldn't catch up to the scene. And what I realized as I walked up and realized my other son was completely under the mantle. And he was six. He was six years old, yeah. And so I do have enough medical training and and knowledge to understand what traumatic brain injury looks like. And it was instantly that. Like, I knew where we were at. And yet, as I was doing CPR on him, I just was like, I have breathed for you before. (laughs) I can breathe for you now. And then then you get fixed. Like, our system is so amazing at trauma. (laughs) So... The fireman came in and literally pulled me off of him, and I just knew, like, God, you're gonna take him, and this is where modern medicine thrives. You're you're gonna work miracles. So I went to the hospital thinking that we were gonna walk into a really hard, like, our lives are gonna change from here on out, but that I had so much confidence that he was gonna make it, even though physically in the moment all the signs were there that. I actually might have already lost him. Mm. And so I latched on to that hope, but the doctors came in after what seemed like an eternity and they sat us down and he had never made it off the ambulance. And it was just this crushing defeat instantly. And I remember it was like physically in that room, that was where... You have seen those movies where the earthquake happens and like the world splits. Yeah. <laughs> and you're on two different sides and like you see like the, the, the scene's always like someone in love. <laughs> and like the one partner's on one side, the other partner's on the other side. And you've got to figure out if you can jump to get to the other side quick enough. And this is like looming in front of me physically. I'm like seeing this play out in my eyes and just realizing the world is splitting and we're not on the same side right now. Mm. And I just had this knowledge like God put it on my heart. You're not on the same side, and you're but you're on the side of strength. And so, you're not on the same side of your son. Is that what I was you're on the side of side of my husband. So my my husband. son was gone you from us, and I knew past. that this would be the biggest challenge of our marriage. And I was defiant instantly. Like so many marriages crumble at the loss like this. I refuse to let this be why. Like my child's legacy, I refuse to let that be why my marriage fails. Wow. And so I dug in so hard and I stepped into a place of strength and I just took over every role in our household and my husband just crumbled. Like he had already had battled addictions and his own mental health issues and those spiraled to a place that was beyond anything I could do. Mm -hmm. And for the next five years, it was 
me, I felt like battling all these extra demons in his life where all of the unhealed wounds and his, and I know his childhood so well and his family so well. I know the generations that were coming up with major skeletons in the closet. And I felt like they were all at play in our lives and it was just all alive. And these patterns were just actively taking over. And my, my, as those years progressed, a couple of things had to happen. I had to separate. I had to like create islands in our life. I had an island of my children. I had an island of myself and I had an island of my husband. This is such survival. Yeah. And I had to go to those islands and bring the medicine, right? And, and be the healer on those islands and make sure that each island was taken care of and nurtured in the way that it needed to. And obviously that's not sustainable for very long, but we did build skills there. I gave mm-hmm. my kids, and this is one thing that I knew um, early on, I have to give my kids skills right here. Like, this is a time where the imprints in their lives from this moment will be eternal. And if there's any patterns to create or break here, I have to break them here. Okay, this is so important. <clears throat> Especially, we've all been through some pretty hard things um, and some people to the extent of what you've been through in the past few years. And um, taking that moment and pausing and saying, are we going to instill skills of healing here? Or are we going to be caught up and whisked away in the pain? Yeah. And the pain is patterns. We are all living in the patterns of our generations before us. And I knew at that point that on both sides of our family, knowing the patterns that we've been given, they're not patterns that will equip us to get through this safely and healthily. And it will be lead to generations of brokenness if we don't stop this right here. Okay, so the blueprint in their DNA that was what happens when there's extreme loss or extreme confusion. Think of any of the plethora of emotions that you're going through. Those blueprints what you're able to do is look at them and say, wait, none of this is healthy. Yeah. None of this is where we want to go. And I, I hear you speak and I just feel like you looked at your kids and to them or to you, they were a clean slate. They were. And you were not willing to um, endorse this old blueprint. Absolutely. And it was very conscious. And the one gift that our son left us that was my anchor point for all of us, like to build on this one message he left us with. We was, I was a photographer and this Christmas, just six months before our last family photos, I was desperate to get my three boys to hold the word joy for our Christmas <laughs> card. And trust me, getting three little boys to do anything in conjunction with each other is nearly <laughs> impossible. And I was having all kind of trouble with the toddler. And um, so I had given all three letters to Avery to hold while I was adjusting the toddler in this little space. We were getting our photo shoot done with one of my best friends. And thankfully my friend who was a photographer, she turned around and she started laughing at Avery and he had put the O around his neck and held the J and the Y so that he personally was was the joy. And it's the most (laughs) amazing little child, like perfect five-year-old face that he had and just so radiant with joy and also like a little bit of defiance and (laughs) it was so perfect and so that that was his funeral picture and that picture went around the world with our story of his loss and that picture changed people's lives that picture I got messages from a dad in Australia who said I have worked as a workaholic 
for the past 10 years and I've missed out on my kid's life, I've stopped everything. I'm going to live for them now. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like God can work <laughs> in the craziest ways through the simplest things. And I began getting tons of messages like that and realizing that we have, I have a mission here and joy is his legacy. So if we're going to build on this, we have to build on joy. So I, I literally even started a company called Joy Legacy at the time that was the beginning of my future coaching. And that was what we built on. So I, I was like, I quit my children. I was like, we're going to teach each other to live in gratitude and joy and have the eyes for miracles and, and learn to participate with God in the way that he's using our suffering as a catalyst for growth rather than us sinking into the victimology where we own suffering as a label mm-hmm. and sink into it. And you can get through life by being a suffering victim or people cater to you. There's no creative, you're, you're never giving anything of yourself if you do that. Hmm. You're just a consumer. And the fastest way to be depressed and miserable is to be just a consumer. And so I was like, no, we have to start giving of ourselves and growing. And so it was instilled on my heart that this was part of what I had to do. And so yeah, add five years to that where I'm in that zone and my marriage was only sinking now into not just abuse, but now alcoholism and drug abuse. And my children were now in physical danger. And so it became urgent, not just, it's amazing how God, you, you know, you can put up with a lot of things. Yes. But you touch my baby. Touch my babies. <laughs> it's over. And so yep. it be, that was my final springboard was I was so dead certain that no matter what I did, we had to get safe. And we literally fled Texas and ended up, by the grace of God, this is kind overnight, of overnight cool in ten days. <laughs> I handed my keys to this beautiful house full of furnishings of fifteen years of a life to a, a estate sale lady, and I just said, "Sell everything you can." And I turned my back and loaded up my minivan with all of our what we could fit, and that was what I left with my four kids in my minivan. <laughs> okay, so did you get divorced th- at that I, point? I had, yep, I had filed for divorce that year, and it took a long time because there was a lot of real. It was like living in a a Quentin Tarantino movie of being the wife of a drug addict. <laughs> it was a very scary year for us. And so getting safe to Utah was my first time in a, in all that space that I could exhale. But I have to, I yes. love this little part of this story because <laughs> she started a doTERRA business mm-hmm. and she rocked it. Yeah. And that was the joy legacy. That was, that was the joy that legacy, legacy business. was the beginning. Oh mm-hmm. And her, um, contacts in her doTERRA business because when you get in a company like this it the community is so rich and so tight Mm -hmm. and so it added to her little um, circle of trust yeah that was that five years post I mean I built my business immediately that was what got me in the business was someone gifting me oils to help me cope and and to be safe in my body um and I had been pregnant with my daughter, so I didn't want to use drugs. And so that was what she gave me. And that was my, my way. And this, is, this matters. This helped me so much. I want other people to have what I just had at their darkest day. And so it wasn't even about building. Like, I didn't care about the business. I just cared about people getting oils on their hands and learning how to take care of their bodies. And so it was the beginning of my health coaching and this career stepping into generational healing and helping people heal the trauma that manifests itself physically in their bodies and learning those connections and oil are such great messengers. Like yeah, they, for the things that you can't say, 
<laughs> in your life. The they oils can, can move you through them. They move you. Your limbic system is hardwired to receive those. And so they were such a catalyst at some of the hardest parts of all of our healing. And especially as a mom with kids moving through trauma, there's so much that they're like, just talking about trauma is not enough. Mm-hmm. And so being able to touch them and infuse the healing of my touch and use essential oils as a way to move them and move their bodies to safety so they could reprogram their cells to learn that they can experience fear or pain or struggle and yet be safe in it enough to build a skill into it to grow from it. Oh, it's so beautiful and it's so empowering. I wish the empower word empower was clear because... <laughs> It's just it's just a realization that happens within every fiber of your being. But your upline then knew what was going you know, on. Yeah, and we had been really close for several years. And one of those, like doTERRA as a company, infuses so much growth. And that was like the final phase for me, those final five years. I grew at a rate I've never grown in my entire life before. They mm. exposed me to myself. I love that. Because they know we can't build this type of a business with this type of financial freedom and this type of message and mission without you being so solid in who you are. And the personal development is a real deal. It's major. And it's so, so fun. there were so many band-aids <laughs> ripped off and so many stories that had been lies in my head that I was living that they made me counter and challenge. And because we mentor each from. other and yeah. we pull each other through mm-hmm. it. So this upline of hers said to her... Um, I'm getting you out of there. Mm-hmm. She said, just get here. Like, just get here. Just get here. She said, you don't have to you have. You were in Texas? I was in Texas. And I was like, I don't, I don't know where to live. I had no, no one to anchor me in the world. And um, I knew my kids needed an anchor to start from. Like, I could live anywhere on my own. I had the financial freedom finally to do that. But I knew that we needed an anchor. Somebody mm-hmm. that had maternal energy to give my kids a safe landing that was outside of just me. Because I knew that I was kind of the one that was going to inflict trauma on my kids by pulling them from their life, right, and starting over. So I needed someone more than me. And this beautiful upline of mine, um, she just said, get here. I have a furnished basement. It's beautiful. You'll be safe. You don't have to worry about how long you need to stay. It's, it's just it's here for you to breathe and to figure it out from that point on. And I needed that. I needed, mm-hmm. I needed obligation and responsibility taken off of me. I needed freedom to just breathe. Let me tell you what, Utah is a beautiful place to come breathe. <laughs> so it was such a gift to me. But you left in the middle of the night with nothing. Yeah, it was It was just like this rush of It wasn't safe. like you could pack and everything up. God, you couldn't do that. God, we had had my divorce, which was the only permission I had to leave the state with my children, was sitting on a judge's desk at this point for already two weeks, and we had no idea when it was going to get signed. Mm. And as I'm crossing the border at the edge of Lubbock, Texas, my lawyer emailed me. And said, we did it. And it's signed. And it was like such a God confirming to me, keep going. Yes. Right? Like, just keep going. And He will always give a second witness. Such a reinforcement to me that I am not alone in this. And God's protecting me. And so that's just, that was where we started. It was like our brand new start. And so then it was, I am starting from scratch with these four little perfect, nearly blank canvases. Now what do I do? Like everything I do from here on out matters and we have to choose. And so I did what I did for myself back in the day, right? The breadcrumbs I sought for myself and the anchor points I built for my kids too. I built a community. And actually what was fascinating, I skipped this part, but I think it's really important. That summer before I got divorced, before my divorce was legal, um, 
we were separated and I took my kids on what I called the real men world tour. The real men world tour. (laughs) And we went and visited families across the country that had been in our lives who had strong marriages and strong husbands and strong male figures. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I don't even know this part. (laughs) And it was, and we would do like five to 10 days with each family. That's a long time. It was a long time. Like a six week period all across the country, like 40,000 miles. It was huge. And it was such an exposure to them to see over and over again, how healthy family relationships and that dynamic looks. And I also knew that they they needed masculine energy and I I will never have it. That's something that as a single mom, I'm always cognizant of is my kids still need that type of energy and the accountability and the push that comes from the masculine that I don't have it in me to give. And so exposing them to that was really important to me. So that was my, my middle ground. That was genius. Getting safe. Like now they trusted me. They know some background to lean on and breadcrumbs of people they could anchor to themselves both outside of the world and then here in Utah did the same thing I immediately sought to build community around them right like give them anchor points give them people mentors that they could look up to outside of me because I knew that I was still the person that was kind of inflicting the trauma just because I've made so much change happen and I have to keep them safe in that and so I expanded my community really quickly and very intentionally um wow and then we just began to grow from there and Kateri is a homeschooling mom, mm-hmm. and her kids are so brilliant, and they are such good kids. Kateri, you've done such a good job. I honestly got out of their way. Oh. That was what homeschooling gave me as a gift to <clears throat> really shift them. God put it on my heart so strong. Like, God put this on my heart as, like, panic signal in 2019. You have to pull them out of school and homeschool them. I was arguing because I'm like, I am, God, I am a single mom working from home as an entrepreneur. Like, <laughs> that is not possible. That's never going to happen. And yet I was a homeschooler in my childhood, so I knew that it was possible. I knew what it looked like. But I argued with him a lot about it, and he put it so strong on my heart. And thank goodness he did because we did do that. I guess it was 2018 because by 2019 I was homeschooling. So 2020, when all that happened, my kids were already out, and they were already independent. And when 2020 happened... And the world, the community we had built kind of crumbled all around us. We, I mean, for everyone in the world, the communities have crumbled at that point. And my kids developed this insular community of our home. Yes. And they learned to live in creativity. And I remember this silly pivotal moment with my daughters that like, they, I love loved, this. they loved art and like the world had shut down. March of 2020, and like we couldn't even get out and get stuff for the supplies. So I said, "Look at the recycling bin, you girls. <laughs> Take the recycling bin, make it your oyster. Like whatever you can make out of there, oh, is yours." Goodness. But it fueled. So what it, what that did, and what it showed me as a parent, like they latched onto that, and they have since been in this like zone of genius where they're just constantly- they have an entire <laughs> city. Yes, built out of trash. <laughs> it's beautiful. And they still are bu- adding still onto it. They're still constantly building. And they, they don't oh see anything gosh. for what it is. They always look beyond what something is and see potential in it. And I'm like, what a life skill that is oh. for all of us. Yes. To look at something. And I try and say that with humans. I try and look at humans in their wounds and catch them. They come to me with physical pain. And I instantly know, yeah, that's only part of your story. Yeah. <laughs> that's the part of your body that's holding you accountable to saying, no, I expect more from you. And I expect you to step into your story and honor honor the, fe- the, the past, but break up with it at the same time. Well, and when, you're, when, when a car is dead, when a car won't <clears throat> start because the battery won't charge, 
you have to give it a spark. Yeah. You have to jumpstart it. Mm -hmm. And when you took that trip across the U.S., and showed your kids, I mean, seven to 10 days, that's a long mm. time to visit with somebody, yeah. right? And But you gave them an amount of time that let them see how that home functioned, mm-hmm. that let them see a full cycle of the parenting. Because yeah. anybody can be a really nice dad for three days. Yeah. But 10 days later, what happened when your kids were naughty? Mm-hmm. What happens when yeah. you had a bad day? They start to see what healthy people do. And I'm sure in that time they saw, you know, moments that were uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But then they saw the healing and the recovery. Yeah. But that jump start, that went in directly and reprogrammed DNA. Absolutely. And it helped our family because our family was suddenly changing. And we pulled every part of what gave us a dynamic and gave us comfort and safety was gone. Our, our familiarity of our community was gone. Our home was gone. You know, their dad was not in the picture anymore. And all these things changed. I knew that we needed rituals and mm-hmm. th- building yes. in a culture into our family. And so I was investigating just as much. I wanted to absorb from these families. What do you do to maintain closeness? How do you build connection? How do you, like, what is the return point when there is something that goes wrong? Where does where do you guys find conflict and then find repair? And all of these things were just as equally for me to see healthy relationships and healthy parenting and draw from it, you know, a little parenting buffet of <laughs> drop it into your navigation <laughs> take that and i'm gonna use that it works that's beautiful okay after all you've been through mm-hmm. what do you think is the most important thing you taught your kids <clears throat> so far i think i i think i have helped them recognize resilience over victimology and to move into it really fast and i think that that is a life scale because i especially in the world that is happening in front of us and seems to be accelerating where we can expect possibly more hard things ahead more struggles more losses more frequently conflict is not the issue in our lives the issue in our lives is how do we deal with it mm-hmm. how do we move into repair in our relationships faster how do we step into healing and choose that quicker because we always can at any time. It's times we, we spend so much time just wallowing in the despair and in the heartache and in the loss and in the depression. And we will build, unfortunately, patterns that are very, they destroy our sense of self and they can hurt our bodies even. And so I want my kids to have these skills of knowing the way forward and knowing how to choose it faster. Mm-hmm. And so choosing resilience and choosing joy. And I just I always tell them, like, joy is not something that is dependent on your environment. You can be locked away in prison without having any reason to be there unjustly. And you can still be joy. You can still experience joy. You can still, because it's a choice you're making, right? And it's a framework of looking to see what lessons God is teaching you. And so looking for lessons rather than why me and building yourself into resilience and finding the place where you enter like in prison. If I'm imprisoned unjustly, can I still give of myself? Can I still pour out something into somebody else? Well, and I think that the core, the root of joy is trust. Yeah, absolutely. Because, and purpose Mm -hmm. in one, because when you can trust that whatever you're going through, even if it's horrific, mm-hmm. that there is purpose mm-hmm. somewhere. And you guys, listen to my podcast on the atonement because <laughs> that is the only way to explain that. Yeah. Believe me, as coaches, we, we know 
so much of the unjust, horrific stuff that can happen. But at the end of the day, what you, um, what you mold from that, what you create from that, what you, I'm looking for, like knit mm-hmm. from that. Yeah. The healing is undeniable and it is a hundred percent. Um, Kateri is an amazing coach. You guys, if you're in a space where, I mean, if you're aligning with this girl, she can help you get through anything and work on those generational patterns and jumpstart them. Jumpstart. <laughs> Fresh Get that start. spark. <laughs> Sometimes it's a brand new freaking battery. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, thank you so much, Kateri. I could talk to you all day long. I Do you know. have anything else that's on your heart that you want to share? I, I just think that reminding ourselves that you're... I remember there was a moment in my life where I, I felt the self-pity of I should have chosen differently. Mm. I should have... I should have stuck to my path when I had I think that's out, really right? common. And we get, we stay stuck in that. And I recognize like, there's, I can't grow in that. I will stay stuck there forever if I only focus on that. And so that's why I like choosing joy and knowing that right t- now, today, in one decision, I begin, I can begin looking ahead. I can begin envisioning who I'm supposed to be. I can begin aligning with what I was created for. All the things that I'm passionate about are not by accident. Like all the things that light me up and give me joy, that spark joy, that recharge my batteries. Those things matter. God put those on my soul for a specific reason. And it's not for mine to keep. It's so true. It's mine to give. And so if I want to enter that headspace of healing and and cultivating something that is selfless and stepping out of that victimhood and moving forward, it has to start from that place of a choice and choosing joy going forward. Because joy is a God emotion. Mm -hmm. And I just want to add one little thing because you just brought it to my mind so strong. I always think um, about an emotion. Is it a God emotion or Mm -hmm. is it a devil emotion? Because even things like guilt, guilt's a God emotion because it makes you feel bad and realize that, oh, I got to apologize for that and do it differently. Or um, regret. Mm -hmm. Regret can be, it's a God emotion because it's like, whoa, what could I have done differently? Mm But you step into shame, mm-hmm. there is no growth in shame. Yeah. There is no God in shame. There is no Jesus in shame. Nope. There's and no so in there's shame. no forgiveness mm-hmm. in shame. There's no comfort or love or joy in shame. And so thinking about the emotions you're experiencing and claiming the God emotions mm-hmm. and then anchoring to the joy that is possible. Yep. If you were an inspirational novel, <laughs> well, how does the story end? Right? Well, because shame keeps you in the darkness and keeps all that you were made for away from the world. And victimhood does mm-hmm. too. And so recognizing that and being a rebel about it. It's so stepping being a that, rebel. Being because, a rebel. I'm all about rebel messages these days. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love her. But being a victim, we all get our turn. Mm-hmm. It's important. If you haven't been a victim, you don't know how to be a hero. Yeah. So, you know, you touch the water, you see it's the water you don't want to bathe in, but you understand the temperature mm-hmm. and you run yep. <laughs> and you go forward yes. in your life, right? Yes. As uncomfortable as it may be. Oh, so thanks, Kateri. Of course. Love, I love you. Your guts, man. <laughs> All right, everybody. I hope that um, I know that some of what you heard struck deep into your soul and some of what we talked about is going to take a good 24 to 48 hours to process and to resonate. So come back and listen to this episode again. 
because there is more for you here. I promise you, there is so much depth here and uh, you can heal that DNA. You can heal that heart and you can bless the generations of your family forever. Okay guys, now is the time to end these old patterns. So I have a gift for you. I wanna help you release and heal so you can move forward. Remember, when you heal generational issues, you heal them backwards for your predecessors and forwards for your posterity. The buck literally stops with you. So hop on over to mckaytow2.com and I will walk you through an experience, heart, mind, body, spirit. That's the way I roll, I do experiences. I want you to feel it and we will begin this process. Millennials, you are the generational healers of our time. You were literally born for this. Don't worry, I got you, girl.